Microphone check, one, two. I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Uh, Yeah, I can hear you. Coming in loud and clear. Good, good, good. Uh, Bob should be joining at some point. Wow. Wow, 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 yeah. The side wire went well, huh? Before I do, there he is. Bird man, he's got a Owl bird man. pick. Wow, 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 Oof. owl guy. Wow, wow. Oh, rig come on, yeah, come on. All right, <coughs> yeah, very professional. Yeah, Bob, you got to be careful when you're eating those peanut butter pretzels, they'll, they'll, they'll go down the wrong way. Yeah, I'll get you. Okay, W. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, George W. Bush is a great way to start the episode. We're back. Come on. Uh, Year-long hiatus. Shut up, Stein has returned. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Toast. Toast, how you living? Living great, man. Living great. A little sore, but we're good. Oh, sure, yeah. Don't sneeze. Don't sneeze. It's not no, good. No, no, no. No, not can't have that. that. All of that, real bad. Mm, mm. And we have the benefit of uh, a guest this week, uh, one Bob Longeru. Bob, welcome. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a long time since we did an episode here. So uh, I think the best way to uh, reinvigorate the fan base is to first uh, uh, note that there were actually people who walked up to me and was like, where did the pod go? Uh, and if that had not happened, I don't think I would have been inspired to, to, to bring it back. So uh, we're back. And uh, I think that, the, uh, I think that the, the wise technique would be to sort of do like a year in review episode since it's been a year. Uh, and so I want to, I want to talk about, uh, you know, the, obviously the three, like, quote unquote, official big tournaments uh, in, in opposite order at which they occurred. So I want to talk about UFs. I want to talk about uh, the Open and I want to talk about NWLA. And from there, we'll, we'll sprinkle in some side stories and then uh, kind of move on to a, to, to a discussion of, of what's next. So let's talk about the, the, uh, the tournament that was most recent. United Wiffle, the first ever international wiffle ball tournament world championship. Uh, from my perspective, ran as smoothly as it possibly could. Uh, the tournament ended at 2.57 p.m., which is a marked turnaround from the beginning of the finals game at 5 p.m. and the ending of the finals game at like 7.30 p.m. last year. Uh, Bob, can you talk a little bit about the logistics of how uh, the cooks and like the, the the squad was able to plug some of those holes and, and wrap this tournament up faster? Sure. Um, if if you're listening now and participated, you'll probably be very familiar with the format because it was the same format as the inaugural UWIP season, a very well put together 40 team format. Um Last year's tournament allowed for four more teams and had a little more, a few more wrinkles to them. But what were, what were consistent through both of those formats were that the Sunday games had four rounds. And this year we started with the final eight on Sunday and made sure to get that final 16 game in on Saturday night. Year one, the reason we didn't do that is because we were afraid of teams going 3-0 and sitting around for possibly four or five hours to play one game. That was their whole tournament to get to Sunday. Um, 
we felt after two years and going through what we went through that um, it was the sound decision to make. And actually, I think led to better strategy and better overall play. Because if you have to save arms for four games on Sunday, a lot of times that's more than one guy. So it becomes mm. really difficult for teams to navigate the format or the, the hand they're dealt. Um, this allowed for ultra flexibility for teams, knowing that a majority of their tournament is on Saturday. Mm. Um, so I think that was the biggest fix and definitely helped us get out of there early on Sunday. And the latest game was 11.30 p.m. on Saturday night. Um, and only because the game before that went nine innings. That was my team. We had to wait to get to the uh, to get our final twenty four match, and that game happened to go eight innings before we played our final sixteen match. So it wasn't everyone. It was basically one or two games that went on beyond ten fifteen ten thirty. I'd say so. I mean that's a home run, and the weather was great, so it worked out. Yeah, I think the only real waiting that happened is I think the Jugs had to wait a while for Goon Squad, and I think that the Dragons had to wait for the Canes. Um, and, and, and and that's always going to happen, right? There's always going to be those holes. There's always going to be uh, waitings. But I, I think, and, and this is something we've talked about on the show in years past, which is minimizing, right? You can never erase, but you want to minimize. And I think that this format is much more conducive to that. It's a little bit simpler. There are no hats involved. So I think everybody was happy about that. Um, but yeah, so uh, experiencing this for the first time, uh, having not been there in 2020, it felt very smooth. I didn't hear any complaints. You know, I do my thing where I, I poke around and I ask people, what, what do you think? How's it going? And, and really nobody had anything uh, bad to say. I was talking to Texas Tim about it, and he was saying that he liked this format moving forward. Uh, it might not have been best in the first year, but with teams consolidating, uh, there's less watering down. Uh, everyone's a competitor. And as such, there's no need to perhaps squeeze more teams in. The, uh, you know, if there's a call for it in the future, you can you can work with it. But simply asking for a, a, a wider net of teams doesn't necessarily make for a better tournament. And I thought that that was a, an astute observation. Now, the jugs repeated. I don't think anyone's happy about that. The McElraths, in a moment of what I can only describe as hysterical mania, uh, addressed the crowd in in a, in a, in a, in a uh, braggadocious and boisterous manner. You turn around, both of them got their shirts off, uh, and uh, uh, it was it was a very but it, you know it, you know close games. Everybody was interested. Everybody's involved. Really good semifinal games, and of course, Toast and Bob. You guys are very well acquainted with the semifinals because your two teams played uh, with the Phenoms edging out the Canes. Bob, you talked a little bit about uh, uh, saving one guy versus two guys. Can you talk about the, the Canes strategy entering the tournament and how you were able to protect Cam until Sunday? Why Cam and not Coop? Can you, can you just walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um I appreciate the uh, the good words of our team because we did make the semifinals, played toast squad, and and at any one of these tournaments, if you make it to that point, uh, everything else is gravy. We all know how how badly everyone wants to win it all, but it is so difficult to get to that point in any of these tournaments. I've played in so many over the years, so it's the first time I've made it that far, and I've lost in the final eight many, many times. So it's it's interesting to just see that, um, just the different respect of getting to that last two games really earns you because a lot of guys you know i always get thanks and whatever but it's just like you guys were just amazing and and sometimes you you lose sight of how 
difficult it is to get far in these tournaments because you mm. could have a stacked team and it totally comes down to luck of the draw. There's a lot of good teams. And when you get to the final 16, final eight, your path is not in your hands. It's determined by how the other teams did and where they slot alongside with where you slotted. So we actually completely lucked out as weird as that sounds, because we had to play an extra game on Saturday night, which forced mm. us to pitch Coop and forced us to not have him available for Sunday, mm. knowing that he, if he pitched two games on sa- Saturday night, maybe he'd have a few innings in the tank on Sunday. <clears throat> we played a nine-inning game in the final 24. Now who pitched 14 innings. He's not throwing Sunday unless absolutely necess- necessary. Right. So right. going into the tournament, um, Devin, Kenny, and myself as being the veteran guys on the team made the decision that Cam was the guy to keep fresh only because Coop's last year or two has been questionable on the mound in terms of his control. Um, his stuff and velocity are never in question. Um, mm. But what type of ball is he going to use? Would he throw enough strikes? Uh, that was the worry. So it was more along the lines of, well, if I have Coop available, great for a few innings. But Cam, I know he's just – he pitched gutsy ball for, for mm. two games. So um, I don't think we can go wrong either way in the future based off of how Coop threw. But um, that was our plan going in. And we, we lucked out in terms of being able to stick to that plan, didn't lose the wrong game and throw things upside down. And we won the games we wanted to win. We lost the Black Dog, which ended up helping us. Black Dog got Phenoms in the final 16. Mm. We had to play an extra game and got Dragons. No mm-hmm. disservice to the Dragons. I'd rather play the Dragons than Black Dog with Jordan Bonet throwing 110 miles an hour. So, yeah. you know, you really can't pick these things. So a little bit of luck always comes in. But having a good team that understands that and fills their role properly, I mean, that's why we had such a great uh, tournament. Yeah, and I think that your your organization was commonly used by other teams where you take your best man, your 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 best stuff, your best velocity, and that guy goes Saturday night. You mentioned Jordan Bonet going Saturday night. We saw that with multiple teams. Uh, I mean, even the Phenoms, uh, when Toast, uh, his arm wasn't feeling the way that it needed to feel, they said, all right, we're going straight to Finley, and we'll figure it out on Sunday, right? So that strategy of... There used to be a time in whips where it was you protect your best man because you feel like hitting is hard. Hitting has become less hard, right? Guys can, I'm hitting, right? Everyone's hitting, right? So it, it becomes more about who's a gamer and less about who's got the best stuff. But of course, stuff is still important. So you, you got to win those Saturday night games so that you can get to Sunday. And I'm thinking right now about C4, Sean Steffi didn't throw a single pitch. And I was talking to Kevin Norris about it. It was a calculation. He said, we, we made a calculation and it didn't work out, right? So it's very interesting. Now I want to talk about Toast um, and the Phenoms because Toast, it, there's one catchphrase of mine that I think you've heard more than any others. Uh, it's the term, if you want to win a championship, you got to have a sprinkle. You got to. And it feels like for me that year in and year out, the Phenoms just can't catch that sprinkle. This year, Vinley had food poisoning. What the fuck? <laughs> like <clears throat> the year before, the hat game, C4 Phenoms. Like what is like how how is it that the Phenoms continue to get such tough toenails 
yet remain consistently in the Elite Eight Final Four championship game? What is your strategy plan mentality? And how did that end up with Jordan pitching in the finals, which we've not yet seen from the Phenoms? So our main thing going into this year, we knew we had a full lineup of nothing but veterans. You know, all of us have been around the game enough uh, to be able to trust each other in certain situations. Uh, we knew going into it we were going to get Connor to eat some innings up early on Saturday, and he did that. He did his job. Um, we knew Pagano was going to throw on Saturday. He didn't throw much last year, and he was always uh, talking about chomping at the bit to get there Saturday. So mm. we decided to roll those two on Saturday, and then uh, once we got past the first three games, we would kind of recalculate after that. Um, like Bob said, it, we pulled Black Dog in the – uh, I think that was around the Sweet 16 to go to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we probably faced the guy that was throwing harder than anyone else there. Like, I don't think it was even close. Um, I knew we had seen him the year before, but it didn't look like he had the stuff that he had this year. I mean, it was – my best comparison to it was like watching Filkins up in Boston. Mm. That night game when he was just throwing a Fil- slider to the Filthy ball. Filkins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it was just – it was untouchable almost. And – uh we were just, you know, we got together and we we're like, listen, uh, we just got to put one in play. Let let his ball do the work for him. Try and square it up. You know, we're, we're not trying to hit home runs. Just put the bat on the ball. Um, we'll eventually slap it around because we knew they were going to score. Or you got to have that mentality going into that game with three veteran hitters with, you know, Maddie, and then you got Dean App, and then you got Jay. Not even taken away from Steve. Steve absolutely rates too. So those are four hard outs to get. So we knew we were going to have to score. And, I mean, you're kind of up against a, a tall task going against somebody that's that's throwing the best stuff there. In my opinion, I didn't see anything like it all week yeah. long. I mean, it was, it was No, it was the best. Stuff. It was the best. Someone had a radar gun on him, and it was reading like 84, and I was like, throw that thing in the fucking trash. It's useless. <laughs> 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 that guy that's was throwing right. 105. Yeah. Like, no yeah, chance. Throwing absolute cheese. But, um, yeah, we, we – uh. We luckily we got on a team this year with a hot Jordan, and uh, mm. I think the past couple of years his bat hasn't been what he knows it can be, what everyone knows it can be. But this year he actually showed his true true colors, you know, hitting big clutch home runs. Like that's that's his forte. That's what he does, and he did it this year. And we're lucky enough, like I said, to ride him pretty much from Saturday on. Like early on Saturday. I, I did a pretty good amount of hitting. Josh hit the ball around a little bit, then slapped it around. Jordan would get a single here and there, maybe one big bomb. He had a big bomb against the Jugs early, but his mm. bat was still quiet for, for what you're used to Jordan doing. And then whenever it got game time, you know, when those big high-pressure situations came up, that's when he kind of – he hit that spark. Um, yeah. And that kind of leads yeah. into that, that final game, that final day. Uh, once he got on the mound, he just turned into a robot, man. You couldn't talk to him. He was, he was in his zone. Like it was, it was his game. And, uh, I've been in that situation before, you know what I mean? When you're just locked in, um, and in that game against the Jokes, he pitched his ass off, man. He, he almost broke his ankle at one point, falling off of the thing. Uh, I remember Connor asking, you all right? He's like, shut the fuck up, give me the ball. Like, <laughs> so we went, in, we went in that inning, and Connor's like, you're not mad at me, right? He's like, no, 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 I'm mad at that fucking hole. Like, we're good. Yeah. But uh, he was he was just locked in, you know. And uh, it's fun to watch people go on, on streets and, and tears like that. Josh did a couple years ago on Sunday, hitting just bomb after bomb off of Jimmy Flynn. 
it's uh it's something that you know but the whole sprinkle thing it, it does seem to bite us but you know you got to play through it like i said we get very beginning we all trust each other um i trusted connor to go in and perform um just as much as i would trust vin he's been around he wants it just as much as anyone else so we just stuck to the plan uh we got out to an early lead and then you can't put the i mean you can't put anything past the jugs. They're going to score runs. Ben Stantz is probably one of the best hitters ever. And well, that, he was so just going to at one point. That was my next yeah. question. That that was my, my last question. We'll, we'll do a proper episode maybe where we break down the entire format with Tim Dean or something like that. But my question, before we move on to the Open, my question is, is Ben Stantz the best hitter in the world? I would say so right now. I don't think is, there's anyone because for, for me, For me, it's been the last 10 years has been tied. And maybe you could convince me that DNAP is up there or Packer. Uh, I've never seen anyone hit the way that Ben St- Ben Stan hit at this tournament. Ben ben, ben is the Ben is the guy right now, and I think before that was Ty for a stretch, mm-hmm. and before that was Norris. Like what we all knew mm. was Kevin Norris during the <clears throat> mid two thousand uh, late two thousands and uh, early twenty tens, and then Ty just took over the game and. You know, through those Palisades years and yada yada, and the last yeah. two to three years, I mean Ben, I mean especially this year and last year, Ben Stant hits a home run every single game. He hit exactly. one against uh, against uh, the best against the elite of the elite. Yes. all the time. No one can figure him out, and it's because his bat is just in the zone for so long with his long stride, and he is just able to get to everything. There's no weak spot for him right now there's well, one, i think a lot it, of people wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait a minute uh, you're a lot of people overlook the fact that they have the best hitter and currently probably the best pitcher in the game no doubt, no doubt. ryan yeah. is a freaking stud he can throw 100 games he has this new ball that no one can figure out the movement he's the gamer he's been there a million times like it's kind of hard to beat a team with the best pitcher and the best hitter in the country on the squad consistently. that's true and that's what they're showing on this run man that's very true. They have the they have the recipe. The recipe is easy for them. Someone right. needs to put the pressure on them to force them to have a bad tournament, and that hasn't happened. Right. Because of Ben Stan, you could throw a fucking cardboard cutout against them and throw your ace, and you still might lose one nothing because Stan's going to hit a homer. And if you guys still want, there's so much pressure on the other team or the team that is playing the jugs, whether it's game one of the tournament, a random MAW tournament, or the national championship game, there was so much pressure on the other team to get Ben out that you forget that there's three Hall of Fame quality bats that are on that team, and their recipe just works every time mm. because of that. Mm. And except we've seen for, stretches except for in 2021. With, We've seen those stretches with the Razors, you know, Norris and Co. Yeah. And, and, and Maddie and DNAP team. Like, they just have the it factor right now that people can't solve. You can't solve Ryan's ball. You can't get bent out in the biggest of spots, no matter yeah. how hard you throw. It, it's too early to say dynasty, but we're definitely getting toward that conversation. Ben Stan hit a ball off Kayvon that went like 135 feet. And I happened to catch it on film. He was like, come here, come here, come here. Let me look at it. I didn't feel good about my swing on that one. I was like, shut the fuck up. Get a, are you, get a grip. What's wrong with you? And he yeah. just stands there. He stands there like he's waiting online for a comic book. Like, it just, like, straight up with the bat up. That, like, it looks like he doesn't have a, a care in the world or a thought in his head. And then just, pow! It's crazy. All right. Pal. Pal. I don't think it's too early to call them a dynasty either. 
fine, to be fair. Like, they're get, they're getting there, man. They're I getting, mean, two no, straight they, championships, they two straight MAWs. They built, they built it from the ground up, too, Stein. Like, they, they weren't yeah. winning earlier. They put a lot of work into it. And they deserve the all first, the first you know year I mean? in UWIF, they were eliminated. They went 0-3. Oh, yeah. Whatever the hell. Red's done. Red's, Red's done. done. The Red's, Red's done here. Since then, look at that. Yeah. Yep. Red hit the walk-off. I don't think anyone any, I don't think anyone was like, oh, my God, the Jugs are in trouble after they went 0-3 in 2020. You're going to be like, well, they're still probably the best team here or one of. So mm-hmm. that was truly their enigma, and something went on, and they've now, you know, like Tosh was saying, they trust each other. Yeah. And they have that recipe, and they know once Ryan's on the mound and you've got Ben in the lineup, like they can beat anyone at any time, and it's going to take an effort on the other side to beat them. What I like to see is when they start losing and see how they handle that because yeah. they have some difficult – they have difficult personalities for losing. They have great yes. personalities for winning. So when the going gets tough, we'll see. Good point. Moving on, speaking of dynasties, fucking enemy. Kevin, will it ever end? I mean, since Kevin 2009, forever. it's been nonstop. I was talking to Steffi about it. When was the last time there was a Sunday without Kevin Norris before this tournament at you? The year they, the year they went on a cruise all together. Yeah, the year they were, the year they weren't there. <laughs> the year they weren't there. It's it's ridiculous that they just keep winning, and when they lost. Last year in the Elite Eight, it was because there was a, a downpour and, and, and extreme weather conditions. And then they almost came back and, and, and beat the eventual championship Lumberjacks anyway. Yeah, that was the Bob. final. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bob, as, as RD and de facto, you know, head honcho of Golden Stick, how did this tournament sort of exemplify the season and how do you feel about the state of golden stick and new york whips in general we had another great year and i think where golden stick is heading is is a league for all um the the competition is always there uh the reach across the country is always there while in a reduced scope now in terms of where we play region play but our tendrils are out all, all over the place. Enough whifflers know that they're always invited to this event. And we have conversations every year with Midwest, West, Texas guys about coming out. And um, so it's not the highest priority anymore. The priority right now is to grow locally where we are, uh, tri-state area, northeast, so that you know we are ready and willing to do what we need to do to blow up if the time and the effort arise. So mm-hmm. for now, status quo for Anthony and I, who are now you know pretty late in the game in terms of age uh, as players, but also you know running this stuff all the time. So it's important to, for us to have built something that is self-sustainable. And uh, with the number and influx of new players and new teams over the last five years, we have that. Um, we had, you know, starting in 2010, 2011, when the new Hyde Park guys started playing, you know, they were turning 40. Now they're turning 50. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not all, we're not all Jerry Cecchio. So you can't rely on the older crowd forever, but you have to rely on these new guys sticking around. And what we've done mm-hmm. a really good job of is retaining players and teams through the years now, not getting a new team to come out and then you never see them again. We've had several teams that are there every week after from day one. And that's what we're looking to build. That's what we're trying to promote because we just want to promote more wiffle play. If that ends up being where 
the the enemy still win and it's still super competitive come to the open whatever there is come at new york whether it's a 15 team event or a 30 team event there's going to be a mix of both at those regional events Mm. um my goal for next year is to make sure that all those newer teams get themselves to the open and experience that we had some of our best newest teams like big payback um who were great all year and they were the closest to beating the enemy throughout the season. Cause they were matched up with them every single week, probably played them six times throughout the season. Sure. Um, and those are the types of guys that we need to make sure experience the open and meet the players from outside the region and understand how big wiffle ball is and can be with their help. But sport. because yeah, players you, go a long way. We see, we see Jordan Rose all on TV, like talent, Mm-hmm. and at the same time those good talent draw another good talent and and that's that's how you make that go but but getting new players and retaining them has been a large success and food man's done a great, great job with that making sure that they have a great time and um you know get a benefit out of coming in and maybe getting their ass kicked for a few weeks before they figure it out and with that has come our largest goal season ever where I did numbers yesterday, there's been 70 players playing already this year and none of them are Kevin Norris, you know, oh. so we're getting those middle of the roads and newer players coming back and playing six, seven weeks in the fall to understand the minutiae of the game and play with veterans. And now they're ready to retool and actually create a roster for the following year. Yeah. You want to avoid what I would, I guess, call the Fairfield fire effect. Um, when it comes to like new teams, like one of the teams that I fell in love with at the open was the Dumps, the Dumps. Uh, they're sick. Those guys they're playing golf. They're sick team. Yeah. And they were like, we wanted this more. I was like talking about golf. They were like, what the hell is golf? That's how it happens. Right. So it was, that, that, that's a good group of guys. Big fan of them. Uh, big fan of the, like you said, like the generational growth where you've got multiple generations in there. That's important. When it comes to like UWIFs and Golden Stick, the predominant force driving both of those entities is East Coast players. But East Coast players cannot grab an NWLA championship. What the fuck is going on? And this is for either of you. What's happening? Why can't why can't the Mikel Rats go out there and win it in unscuffed, fast pitch, yellow bat base running? It's Rookie playing uh, no running bases. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I don't know. I haven't yeah. gone to NWLA. Um, I haven't played a lot of unscuffed. Uh, mm. I think the running bases are probably the biggest issue because in, in, in the style of play that we have, no running bases, automatic, scuff balls, it's so hitter versus pitcher. And the fielding is so secondary, even tertiary. Yeah, there's mm. a tag here and there. You got to make a good play. But little bunts that things that are ground outs in automatic play are the difference makers in game this type of style so i think you have a bunch of guys that are like hey we got this guy who he would he would hit oh oh 20 in actual fast pitch but he hits from the left side and is halfway to first base and he makes contact with the ball better mm. he could beat out anything so we don't have that we have a bunch of dudes who want to crush it over the fence and throw gas and get everyone out and expect to win. So I think, you know, it's a little bit of, Hey, you come into our turf and it's, you see how hard it is. Um, I wow. think the non running bases is a little easier to translate to, because if you got a dude who chops and a dude who hits, you got a shot. Look at CCX, the NWL yep. champions, and yep. then, you know, knock a bunch of good teams out. So um, I think it's a much further, escape from the way we play to the way NWI is and, and tougher to translate, but you know, 
Yeah, that, they're there to win. I was going to say that the, the transition from something like U-Whips to the Open is much smaller than the transition from U-Whips to NWLA, despite the fact that they're both fast pitch. Agreed. The base Not running and the good. umpires and the, yeah, it's, it's, you know, just on the reports <clears throat> I've heard. And, uh, well, you know, I... You can go on with what Bob said, too, like with a lot of these East Coast teams, when he was talking about throwing bombs and striking people out, like they want to go out there and hit. I don't, I mean, you can notice it with either relatively like newer players or players that don't have as much confidence in the batter's box. Mm. They'll go out there and take a lot of pitches. And the strike zone for NWLA is a little bit smaller, I want to yeah. say, like taller yeah, yeah, than yeah. Anakin. So maybe those teams are just better at playing small ball than per se like the MAW guys that swing and put mm. the ball in play and they ground out to the pitcher or they rope one to the fence and they still ground <laughs> out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a bunch of things that go into that. Yeah, I, I, playing small I, ball. I heard that stance is very play. pedestrian in that. So what does that what does that say? Oh, you I'm know, so glad there's an unbelievable right. hitter, but I heard they have to bench him in <laughs> LA because he's slow and can't hit with a little stick. Now, guys, slow. <laughs> Speaking of Ben Stant and NWLA, you know who had a bad time at NWLA, Bob? Who? The PLW guys. My league. Why? How did that go? Bad? Not great? Yeah. They did not have a great time. We got, you know, and and kudos to, you know, Dalby and Gannon and Taylor Briner and, uh, you know, Adam Couts and Trevor Bauer for going out there and doing it and and, and putting their money where their mouth is. But they got spanked 0-4. Uh, got eliminated by Ben Stant hitting a grand slam off of Taylor Briner, who's the best player in the league. Um, a really, really tough showing, full of guys who love to talk shit, but now find themselves in a position where the league is up in the air. They don't know. They're doing this like Sin City quick pitch league now. Uh, nobody knows if PLW is coming back or forward. And they showed up at a national event, which is clean ball, which KLW is clean ball and yellow bat. You would think that they would succeed. And they got absolutely manhandled. So the question is, for a structure like PLW, what is the best option for them moving forward? Do they go all in on their little bubble, kind of like the MLW guy did for a while and just only exist in their little world? Or should we be encouraging them to show up to things like the Open and UWIPs and really uh, meshing them in with the greater wiffle ball community? Well, I would never, I would never tell a group of guys on what style or how to play, um, and I think that's the point of UIF. I think that's the point of the brotherhood that is the Wiffle World. Is I don't care which style you play, because you're invited to my style, I'm invited to your style, and I hope to see you there. I think the decision needs to be made by the collective group on what's in their best interests. They have guys that travel very far or is it hyper local where you can try out different things. But if you have guys that have to make a commitment from a distance, it needs to be clear right away how you're going to go about things, whether it's on scuffs, running bases, blah, blah, blah. Um, So it's in their hands. And I think that's what the Wiffle community wants. They want guys to play the way that they want to play. I don't think there's Mm. anyone forcing anyone or asking them to play a certain style. It's merely a suggestion. Mm. Um, My suggestion for the guys who were there, is to not play clean ball. Um, I think medium pitch was definitely a good style for them, but I think mm-hmm. sorting out a using an array of balls will allow for a greater range in pitching options for players and also yeah. pitchers in general. You might have a guy that has a pitch with some weird scuffed ball or 
can throw a drop but can't throw any of these other straight pitches the next thing you know everyone's got a little something and that's why yard is so fun because it's similar to like bowling and golf where it's like it doesn't matter mm. how you swing the club or throw the ball like everyone's unique as long as it gets down the lane as long as you hit it on in the air as long as you could throw a strike with it so you know look there's a lot of quirky guys in yard and and in whiffs in general so like Embrace the quirk and whatever quirk works for your guys, whether it's running bases or scuffing the ball or what have you, um, that's the way to go. Well, that's what they're doing now in their quick pitch league. It is a scuff ball league, which I was very happy to hear about. And I went back and forth with Gannon about this a million times in terms of uh, the usefulness of scuffing. And, and I've been insisting that that's, you know, that that's uh, one of the better ways in which a, a league could experience growth because of that it, intense, predictable, exciting movement. Um, but yeah, I, I worry about them just a little bit, but the guys have the passion and Greg Kelly, the dude who did the production, he should be at every event, like how, how Tim gets flown out. Greg Kelly is a wizard behind the camera. And uh, you know, my advice would be uh, to get him involved if possible. We only have a couple of minutes left. So the last thing I want to talk about is a phenomenon that I noticed in terms of pitching. The wiffle ball community, especially like the scuff ball, non-base running community, has really morphed from pitching dominant to hitting dominant in pretty much every way. But I did notice one really interesting phenomenon, specifically at the open. Everyone who made it deep and was having success pitching had a delivery and a release point that was beneath their hips. There were almost no overhand pitches thrown by teams that made it to like the Elite Eight Final Four. Was that an anomaly? Or is that a trick? You know how like pitching trends in a direction? Are we starting to see a new trend in pitching where, where guys who are releasing from that lower angle are maybe getting a little bit sharper or different movement or it's something that guys haven't seen as much? What, what do you guys think? I think it's just changing the, the batter's eye. Mm. You've seen uh, probably your whole life a lot of people playing football and play baseball. And you've seen the over-the-top over delivery your whole life. So I think picking the ball up, is a little bit easier when it comes out over the top. Otherwise, like compared to a, a sidearm, a submarine delivery, uh, you can kind of hide the ball a little bit better that way. Mm. I mean, you, you got to think the ball is coming up. The ball has to come up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to keep going up from that angle. Like you can't throw downward from a submarine or sidearm angle. So that adds a little bit of twist to it instead of the ball just going like on a flat plane. Mm. That's what I think. Interesting. Interesting. Bob, thoughts? Um, that's a good one. Um, I think you definitely see ebbs and flows in terms of pitching style. Not so much styles, but pitches themselves. The knuckleball five years ago was the new greatest thing. Now everyone mm. has one to some degree. You're not as intimidated by it. You know, in 2010, it was the year of the screwball. Everyone mm. picked up a screwball all of a sudden, and it was nasty. And for whatever reason, guys couldn't pick it up. Now, especially in, like, these fast-pitch tournaments – you go down, you see the guy warming, you're like, oh, he's conventional. Like conventional yeah. stuff where he throws slider, riser, drop, screw, and you're like, all right, we're going to score 10 runs. And now it's weird when you're like, yeah, this guy's throwing like this different ball and it has this like two-seam movement and now he's throwing like an overhand curveball and that's kind of confusing me or same thing like someone coming real low in yard people say it to me all the time like dude your stuff is so nasty because i can't see it coming from your shoe and i'm like i think of it as second nature but you realize how few people actually throw like that when they're throwing like their conventional pitches that it definitely right. has some weight to it 
Um, but in terms of the hitters getting better, especially in fast pitch, um, part of that is it's four ball, three strike. And the majority of the elite players are playing two strike fast pitch right now, which I don't like at all. But it definitely changes the how your feel at the plate. My gosh, I've I felt like a you know a Hall of Fame hitter with three strike instead of two strike. Like the right. difference is night and day. And when you have guys who are used to throwing that way as well, how many less strikes are they actually throwing? And now they're walking more guys than they're used to, plus having to throw an extra strike. And now they're getting hit around a little more often. Um, yeah. Obviously, MAW isn't every fast pitch player in the world. I don't know what the other some of the other leagues are doing. But overall, there's a lot of two-strike play going on with Northeast players, whether it's mm. yard or fast mm-hmm. pitch. So that is a totally different at bat when you're facing a guy 95 and um, yeah. you want to wait for your pitch. Because if you have to pick one out, off a guy throwing 95 it's really tough to hit if you're not an elite hitter so um that's definitely a big part of it but there's always there's that's the best part of the about the game is that these ebbs and flows of pitches and styles and players in general like a guy's a juggernaut for three years and then you're like oh ben stan's just you know a regular Mm. good hitter again you know it's weird how it all works Mm, I, i picked up on one thing too a lot of these newer teams it's not necessarily worth pitching either because a bunch of these newer teams coming in have the stuff that probably a, a third person, like your third best pitcher, would have five, six years ago. Uh, they're coming yeah. in already ahead of the curve. Like, I know, especially speaking for the TC35 guys, the guy who pitched against us, I can't remember his name, but he was the same dude that threw against C4. He had a complimentary changeup for every pitch that he threw. You, you don't see it. that with a lot of new, like, you don't see that with a lot of new players, though. They haven't had the time to develop pitches like that. Like, it blew my mind that he yeah. already had that kind of arsenal and, like, confidence in his pitches to be able to do that kind of stuff. Gotta have it. Well, on that note, we will be back. And I'll make a little announcement at the end of this uh, about about audio, but uh, we will be back. The show is back. You hate to see it. Blah, blah, blah. Next time, I don't know what we're talking about, but we'll be talking about some shit. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining Fire me up. Fire me up. Hey, everybody. It's your boy Stein just checking in here. You may have noticed that this episode did not feature an intro song or background music. And the reason for that is because during the one-year hiatus, we had about half a dozen to a dozen episodes removed from Spotify because we were using like, I don't know, fucking published content or something like that. Like Tech9 like sent an email to Spotify and was like, I don't want this white boy using my shit. Anyway, the point is... Um, I'm not going to be including those, um, you know, previously recorded songs, even though they were fun, because we run the risk of having the episode taken down. So if there's anyone who makes beats, if there's anyone who makes original music, I'd love to use your music, use your beats on the background of, uh, of, the, of the track as introductions to the song. And in that way, we won't run into any copyright infringement. The only thing is it has to be a completely original beat. It can't be a sample. Otherwise, we will run into those problems. So if there's anyone out there making music, uh, I'm, I'm open to using your shit. All right? Cool.